Good morning. I probably should begin uh, today with a, a little bit of a confession. Um, I, uh, I, I'm the oldest child. Uh, my sister, who is now in heaven, uh, she's two and a half younger, two and, was two and a half years younger than me, was, which was, was just the, the perfect age, really, uh, for, for uh, sibling rivalry and those sorts of things. And so um, being, being the kind and generous and helpful person that I am, uh, as a child especially, and even into the teenage years, I was, was willing to share my advanced wisdom about how things should be done with my younger sister. I, I was happy to, to correct her when she was wrong and to point out the places where she had gone wrong and the flaws in her thinking and the, the, the way she was doing things wrong. I, I, just, I just believed a part of my ministry was to straighten out my sister and keep her on the straight and narrow. And uh, she was a pretty patient person and, and uh, there was tussles back and forth uh, about those sorts of things. But one day she said something that, that just profoundly impacted me as an older brother that, that had not occurred to me until that moment, and that was this one time in total aspiration. Yeah, when she was frustrated with me, she turned around and she looked at me and she said, you're not the boss of me. And that came as a total surprise to me. That had not occurred to me. I was two years older. Uh, Of course I was. So I said, where did that come from? I'm just trying to help you, you know? And and so I, I criticize you because I love you, you know? And, and, of course, the underlying thought was, if I love you and I criticize you, then it's okay to criticize you. And somehow she did not think that was the truth. And so I, I learned some things when going through this process. Um, and one of them is people often perceived my loving advice as judging them. I don't know why, but sometimes when I would give advice to people, they just, they took it as I was, I was putting them down or I was judging them or I didn't think they were good enough or any of that sort of things. And I, I was trying to communicate, you know, can I help you or here's how I can help you. And she just heard, you're not good enough. That's what the message she heard. I'm like, you know, do this, do this, that, straighten that out. And she's hearing this message that I didn't hear, which was, you're not good enough. And there's something wrong with you and, and all of those sorts of things. And that created some tension between us uh, over the years when, when we were growing up. And, and that, that this is the mat- truth of the matter. People often perceive my loving advance, advice and your loving advice as judging them. And then here's what I really know for sure. Nobody likes to be judged. Nobody likes to be judged. And this came out this week when we did the survey on the lobby page. And if you're not on our lobby page, uh, ask to join it. it it's uh, where we kind of do the crazy stuff. Um, and, and it was funny to, to read through your responses uh, and how many of the younger children especially believed that the oldest child was bossy in some sort of way. And my sister would have been in that category too. She would have said that I was bossy growing up. But I'm just telling you, you know, first children, that's the way we are. We're kind of wired like that. And, and I'm really sorry. I apologize to my sister over the years. I probably need to apologize all all of the second, third, fourth born children uh, that were out there. And some of you, you were blessed. Like, there's just a couple of you that, that said, "Hey, I uh, my the first born child in my family wasn't bossy. You should thank God uh, for that, because." Nobody likes to be judged. Nobody likes that. We don't like being told what to do. We don't like being criticized. We, we don't like it. You know, I don't like it. You don't like it. Nobody likes it. And in fact, here's where this kind of comes around to what we're going to talk about today. Believers hate 
being unbelievers hate being judged believers hate being judged too you know and we hate being told that we're judging other people but unbelievers because there's a moral quality to it you know when we talk about the sinfulness of things that that it just it's super heavy and they they just hate it uh and and even even if your advice would greatly improve their lives. And, and that's a part of what happens in the church is we believe that a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and living the way he asked us to live will hugely improve a person's life. And we've experienced that. And some of us have come from very dark places to very good places. And we became a follower of Jesus. It's like, this is the greatest thing ever. And we're so excited about it. And yet, even though our intentions are good, we end up coming across in a way that feels like judging and so this is why this is, is so important to that, because the thing we want most is to bring people into relationship with Jesus Christ. We want them to experience what we've experienced. And so when we come across as judgy, this is what happens. When people feel judged, they stop listening. They stop listening. And if we want to reach them for Christ, and they stop listening, the whole thing is defeated. And so whatever you think about judging, it just doesn't help to judge other people and to come across like that. There's, there's a certain emotional resistance that happens when you feel like somebody is judging you, like they're communicating we're better than you or there's something wrong with you. It, it becomes adversarial. Have you noticed that? If you've ever had anybody that just criticized you, it, pretty soon it's, it's adversarial, it's frustrating. And, and honestly, it makes the relationship worse. And, and at some point, whatever you tell them, even if it's really great advice, they just automatically they've been inoculated to anything you say because they don't want to hear it because they've felt judged and so we do not want people to stop listening that that just damages and so Jesus was always going about winning people over and and he had this amazing ability even people that were in all kinds of really deep sin that they knew was very destructive in their life he he they he won them over they didn't feel judged they felt loved in all of this and so Jesus has some very strong words about this idea of, of judging one another. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Um, and we're going to talk about another parable. We're in this, this series, summer series about the parables of Jesus, stories that changed the world. Uh, and this one is absolutely in, in that, ver that, that category. Uh, but this is one of those that, that we learn as a child, and maybe we don't really get the full meaning of it. In fact, a part of my summer teaching series is almost always to help take some of the stories we learned uh, in Sunday school and give us the adult version. You kind of get the children version growing up, and if you don't get the adult version, uh, sometimes you can misunderstand them. And this is one of those parables that really does have kind of a surprise ending on it uh, that, that people uh, don't necessarily see coming, even a lot of, uh, of Christians. Uh, so uh, let's begin with just the, the first three words of this. And the first three words are, do not judge. That has to be the most quoted section of the Bible anywhere compared to anything. Every Christian has heard those words and used those words. And people who, who are, are in our culture and just kind of culturally Christian, they, they use the words, do not judge. And even people who are atheists use the words, do not judge. And even people who've never even heard about Christianity use the words, do not judge. If there's anything that's more quoted than this, I have no idea what it would be. Because it stirs such strong emotions. And unbelievers love to, to quote this back at us when we're coming across as judged in, in so many ways. And, and yet it's so under, misunderstood. 
Okay? And so let's just make a little clarification here about what we, we mean by judging. Because sometimes I'll hear people say, yeah, but we're supposed to decide what's right and what, what, what's wrong. And, and so the, the Greek word here used for judge has a really wide meaning. And so it can mean, in one sense, deciding that this is right and this is wrong. I judge between two things. But the word, is, its meaning is determined by context. And actually, it has in this particular context the idea of passing judgment on people. You get that difference? There's one kind of judging that is deciding, okay, deciding what's right and deciding what's wrong. And there's another kind of judgment. That's kind of an intellectual, biblical, theological kind of argument. And the other one is a relational kind of judging in which we pass judgment on others. It creates feelings and it ruins relationships. It's all about how you make them feel in in the context. And so I looked and looked and looked for a good definition, tried to think up a good definition, a way to get this across uh, personally. And then I I found one of my favorite preachers just had the best one. I couldn't do any better or get anywhere close. And so Andy Stanley gives this as the definition of this kind of judging. Thou shalt not size me up and write me off. That's pretty good. Thou shalt not size me up and write me off. And you all have seen people do this. And, and I'm guessing most of us have done this at one time or another. One of the ways I, I used to see it much, it's not, not at all in our church anymore, but, but I, I used to see where, where someone would walk into church and they'd have a bunch of tattoos and you could see people kind of go, and kind of step back. I mean, there's just a little motion back. They sized them up and they wrote them off. There's something dangerous about that person. Or if, if you see somebody that's all dressed in black goth, you know, and they, everybody's kind of like, I don't know, you know, kind of size them up and uh, they're not safe. Uh, one of the great, greatest communication cards I ever got uh, was a time when a person came to our church completely in goth, head to toe, and they wrote me back and said, this is the first church that's ever really accepted me and nobody looked at me funny. I just wanted to go, yay, generations, we, we did it. We didn't, we didn't judge. They didn't feel judged. We didn't write them, size them up and, and write them off. Or, or of atheists, sometimes Christians get around atheists and it's like kind of size them up and go, oh, they're just, they're worthless. We can't help them and there's nothing we can do for them and they're just lost and so we size them up. We write them off. And um, sometimes, honestly, this whole writing people off. Now, this probably is none of you, but I have met some Christians. I think they were happy that there's a hell. I think they were glad for a place like these people to go, get rid of them. Think about that a minute. If you are happy that there's a hell, you have missed the heart of God. God doesn't want anyone anyone even people that don't look like you and are completely different from you culturally and maybe they got tattoos head to tail and then you know, they got all kinds of crazy music they listen to and they dress in goth and they they do all kinds of things that you think aren't right god wants them in his heaven in relationship with him amen now you're not here to say amen but say amen anyway and so we do not want to be a people who size people up and and, and write them off uh and so the, the question then becomes, how would you want to be judged? I mean, really, if you stepped into a different place and a different situation, would you want to be judged like that? I wouldn't. So the, the passage goes on, uh, picking up. It says, uh, do not judge or you will be judged. That's the tough one. Do not judge or you will be judged. And in the context, it's very clear that God's the one that's doing the judging here. If you size people up and write them off, don't be surprised if other people size you up and write you off. And more scary than that, that God, doesn't, that God judges you like that. In fact, it gets worse, okay? Moving on. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. That's a scary verse. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And God does this a number of times. You read the Old Testament where God says, I will judge you out of your own mouth and out of your own words. This idea that, that if you judge others harshly, that you too will be judged harshly. And I, I think a part of this maybe comes with age a little bit. I, I remember when I was young and I, I knew everything and I had it all figured out and I knew what was right and I knew what was wrong. And I lived in a world where I wanted justice. Justice, make things right. And as I've gotten older and I realize my faults and flaws more and more and I see my struggles and all the stuff that isn't perfect, I have come to the stage in my life where I want mercy. I, I, I want mercy because I need mercy for me and, and maybe you need mercy for you as well. And then Jesus gives the illustration. He goes on to say, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and do not perceive the plank in your own eye. And this is again a place where Jesus is using sarcasm. He's, he's kind of making fun of them and he's telling a, a funny story. And the, the word there for perceive is actually a word that means awareness of. And so he's saying, you're in denial. You're not aware of this because you, you deny this. And so there's this, this self-denial kind of thing he's put into this story. And, and when people get in self-denial, they start to make excuses about, about their flaws and their, their imperfections. And, and honestly, there's, there's this thing that Christians kind of like to say, hey, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. You need to know that to a lot of unbelievers, that comes off as an excuse for the things we do. We, we don't need to go around telling people we're forgiven. When we mess it up, we need to go around and ask for forgiveness of others. And we need to be self-aware enough to realize about the plank that is in our own eye. Unwilling to consider we have a problem leads to arrogance and self-righteousness and all kinds of problems. And so then Jesus draws a funny picture uh, of this this idea of the plank and the and the sawdust, he goes on to say, "How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank out of out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your eye?" And so there's an interesting sort of thing if you think about that a minute. Imagine for a minute you have a plank in your eye, and and uh, you know, and they have a little speck in their eye, and you go to reach to help them with their speck, and you put out the other eye with the plank you have in your eye. And, and in fact, if you, you kind of go around with that plank, you bang into people and you hurt them and you, you poke people if you get too close. And there, there's this whole funny image. Jesus was literally being funny in, in this particular case because they had a plank in their eye that, that, that you know, can't happen. But, but that's the idea here that, that, you, that you can't. If you, if you have a, a plank in your eye, if, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? The answer is you can't. You can't do that. It's not possible. Not only is it not possible, it's kind of funny to look at when you think about that for a little bit. So then he goes on and he gets pretty tough and he says to them, you hypocrite. <laughs> can you imagine the laughter stopped really quickly right in that moment? First, take the plank out of your own eye. And um, another definition of hypocrite that I came across that I, I really like is this. Hypocrites are people who are more interested in finding fault with others than taking care of their own stuff. Hypocrites are people who are more interested in finding faults with others than taking care of their own stuff. Have you met people like that? Oh, I have met people like that. 
they always find the thing that's wrong with whatever you're doing or whoever you're working with. They're always able to see all the things that aren't quite perfect. And that's kind of their standard is it perfection. And they, they always have to point it out. And they, there's usually a little barb with it. And it, it's kind of this idea. And you really get this sense that, that they're not particularly interested in helping as much as they're interested in criticizing. And then you look at their own lives and they've, they've got a plank in their eye that they keep poking people with while they, they try to help. Hey, there's a fault, there's a fault, there's a fault. Hey, you over there, and you bang somebody this way. You hypocrite. More interested in finding fault with others than taking care of their own stuff. People, in fact, who see flaws in others, in my experience, often have that flaw in their own life. I don't know whether you've experienced this, but I've seen this. I've seen a number of people who just think people lie to them all the time, and every time something goes wrong, they think somebody lied to them. And what they don't know is that that speck and whatever that other person is all, we can all see the, the, the plank in their eye that they're pretty well known for being liars themselves. They very have a hard time with the truth. Or, or sometimes people who think people are stealing from them all the time, and somebody's cheating, and everybody's cheating, and that person's cheating, and they always point it out, and yet you know in their own life that they often don't play by the rules, that they themselves cheat. It's, it's what Jesus is talking about, the sawdust. They, they see one person who cheats one time, and, and they can't help but point it out when, in fact, they cheat all the time. Or backstabbers. I've known people, in, especially when I was in the corporate mix, that just always thought somebody was trying to backstab them and knew that they were the kind of people that backstabbed other people all the time. And that's why nobody wanted them on their team, because they weren't safe. So they figured they kept getting backstabbed because no one wanted them on their team. Or, here, let me get real personal with the church. You remember not long ago, maybe a decade ago, there were lots of preachers that just raged about homosexuality and how bad it was. And I'm not saying it's a good thing at all, but we would later find out that many of those preachers themselves struggled with homosexuality. The plank and the sawdust in someone else's eye and a plank in their eye. And I am telling you, the world around us, we are not hidden from them. We are naked. They see our faults. They see our flaws. They see the things that don't go wrong. In fact, the, the secular world has actually come up with a name for this. It's called projection. It's where I project my faults onto you. And I see a little speck in your eye when, in fact, I have a, a plank in my eye. So what does this passage teach us? I think this is the first thing. Following Jesus means learning to be self-aware and humble. And that is hard. That is hard. That's why we have confession in the church, because it makes us self-aware. And the truth of the matter is, everyone has flaws. Everyone has flaws. Don't look at the people around you. You have flaws. I have flaws. Just talk to my children or my wife. They can tell you all about all of my flaws. And I struggle with them. And there's some that I've struggled with for a lifetime, and I just, they, they bite me, and it, ah, I'm still working on them. And so the reason I say humble is because if the truth is that you have flaws, and you do, it's a whole lot easier to swallow it if you've been humble rather than arrogant when somebody points out your flaws. There are things in my life when people say, Craig, you're, and I go, yep, you're right. That, I, I struggle with that. I get that. So humility makes it much easier to grapple with our own stuff. And then self-awareness is this idea of, of looking inward before we look outward. 
of beginning with the plank. That's what Jesus said. He was talking about that. Take the plank out first, okay, before anything else happens, dealing with your own stuff. And, and, and if you need to get help, whether it's professional help or, or whether it's uh, other believers in the body, there is something powerful about sharing the fact that you're not perfect. It's not like you're hiding the secret, okay? They already know you're not perfect. It's about sharing with one another. In fact, James 5.16 says something that I've, I love. It says, confess your sins to one another, that's not necessarily to me, that you might be healed. That you might be healed. That in bringing our, our faults out, in bringing our, our planks out, and in confessing them to the trusted people that love us, there's a healing that happens in that. There's a, a prayer for one another. And so in the ancient church, there was this thing called confession. Uh, and, and it was the idea that we would confess to one another our sins. And, and what that did was it allowed us to embrace the truth rather than to, to not be self-aware, to not perceive them. Confession makes me deal with it and say, yep, that's me. You know, I, I got to figure out, would you help me deal with this? Would you remind me? Would you? That's the power of the Christian church, the co- community. But here's, here's the catch. As joyous as that is, as powerful as that has been in my life, this is why mentors have been so important and life groups have been so important. You, I, I know um, it's hard to believe this, but I am the very much cleaned up version from what the early days of Craig were like because those people have spoken to my life and helped me in so much. But as powerful as that is, as wonderful as that is for me and for those that have to live with me, there is a catch, and here's the catch. Just cleaning up your life is not enough. In this passage, it's not. It's great for you. It's great for you if you clean up your life and you get better and you learn and you you get rid of the planks in your life. But that doesn't do anything to help anybody else. That's just for you. And and the problem with just letting it be about you is when we get a cleaned up life and things are going better, we can become a little self righteous. We can become a little self righteous, and then when people become self righteous, they become a little judgy, and then they can become very judgy. And pretty soon, we're gone. You have sawdust in your eye, and the plank is back. You see, we all live in a place, one of my dad's favorite sayings was, but for the grace of God, there go I. Because he had lived on the streets in homelessness and alcoholism, and every time he saw someone like that, you could see it. You could see it in his heart. And there's a whole world of brokenness and flawed people out there that are struggling with the planks in their eye, and we have the answer in Christ. And God wants to bring healing to them just like he brought healing to us. And so there's a surprise ending on this passage that most people just go blowing by because they get so hung up on the beginning of don't judge. Get this, this last line. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, it's not about abandoning people who are caught in sin. It's not about abandoning people that, 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 that are stuck with what's going on, that, that very sort of thing you see in their life. We, we come across this judgy because we're trying to help, and the problem isn't the trying to help. The problem is the judgy. And people miss that nuance sometimes. You know who is best at helping alcoholics? Recovering alcoholics. Because they don't judge. Because they've been there. My dad had great ministry amongst those people because he was there. You know who's best at, at helping drug addicts? Recovering drug addicts. You know who's best at helping gambling addicts? Recovering gambling addicts. You know who's best at having fill in your blank? 
people who have been there themselves. It's so important. And here's the really good news. God wants to redeem your past. That, that very plank that gets in the way that becomes the problem actually becomes a means of grace to other people when God works in it and when you get it out in, in the open. Your planks can be used by God for good. I need to say that again. Your planks, your brokenness, your flaws, your sins, God can use for good. To redeem you and to redeem the others around you. To let you minister to people that, that other people can't minister to, that I can't minister to when it's taken care of. And, and you, 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 go, you can go to people and you can say things like, Brother, you got a speck in your eye, but let me tell you about the plank I had in my eye. And it's done with love and grace. It's done without sizing them up and writing them off. It's just the opposite. It's embracing them and loving them and getting involved in helping them. In fact, instead of judging, we are to serve people. That's the point of this parable. Don't judge, serve. And if you judge, you can't serve. And in order to serve, you can't judge. Don't judge so that you can serve, so that they will listen. And then... Um, this is another part that gets misunderstood. Jesus doesn't tell us to ignore sin. He doesn't. It, this passage isn't about ignoring the sin. He said, go back and help them. It's about how we deal with that. And then he goes on. Well, I'll go on. But he does say, you're not ready to help others until you take care of your plank. That's the heart of this. Until you do the inward look, until you fix the part that is the plank in your own life, you're not ready to help other people. And I have said to people in my office, you're not ready yet to go out and help people. I didn't go on into the plank thing because then that kind of feels kind of judgy to them too. But, but sometimes there's, there's stuff that has to be dealt with on the inside. of, And so we have to take care of this stuff in our lives. Uh, we can't just be clean. Then we have to help people. This is love. And so I would say it like this. Don't judge love. Don't judge love. Love enough to take care of your own stuff so that you can help others. The hard, painful work of cleaning ourselves up and working through our, our struggles. So, you know why alcoholics will take advice from re recovering alcoholics? Because instead of judging, they receive mercy and understanding and compassion and love. Because the recovering alcoholic's been there, done that. Had a, had a bigger stick in my life than you have a speck of sawdust in, in yours. We're going to worship the Lord in giving in just a minute if our musicians could come. My, my dad grew up in a really judgmental home. I've shared with most of you about my dad. And, and it, was, it, was, it was terrible. <laughs> he could never live up to the standards of his dad. He could never live up to the standards of his mom who... Uh, was hyper-religious and, and judgmental. He, he could never live up to the standards of the preachers in, in, in those days. And, 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 and as a part of that, he just went way off the rails. He rejected everything in, in Christianity and did everything he could to, to rebel against other people. And, and, and then he finally got to the bottom of his life and one point found himself an alcoholic and on the streets. And he had done a number of things that would have ended up with him in, in prison. And yet when he did the final big thing, the man that had held my dad's fate in his hand showed mercy to my dad. And that changed his world forever. That was a different kind of religion than what he'd experienced before. A religion, a relationship filled with mercy and grace and love and compassion for one another. 
We need that compassion. This message is for the church. This is a message for those of us that name the name of Christ that says we have some planks in our eyes and we need to take care of that. And so the first step in removing your plank is owning it, is confession for what we've done. And so we're going to um, worship the Lord with communion here in just a minute. And there, there is no better place than to have, um, to confess than at the Lord's table together. In fact, we should begin with confession in our lives. And so if you've gathered up the elements, uh, I, I want us to, to come to a place of beginning this with confession. In fact, you'll remember that the, the blood represents the, shed, the, the juice represents the shed blood of Christ for forgiveness, for forgiveness for, for the planks we have in our eyes. And the broken body is about healing for us. Uh, and, and so the, the, this moment can be the moment where you take that step of confession. You don't have to confess to me. You only have to confess to God. God, I got this plank. I know I got this plank. It keeps getting in the way. And so as we prepare our hearts, I want you to prepare your heart as well. I want to invite you to confess to the Lord that you have this plank in your life. And it's getting in the way of ministry and it's getting in the way of relationships. And you want to give it to him and you give him permission to work on you. Oh boy, does that get fun sometimes. But it's so, so important. And, and it may be that there are some of you that are joining us that you're not even a follower of Jesus Christ today. And you'd like to become one. You'd like to start that journey and so the, that journey, too, begins with confession. It, confessing that there's a gap between you and what God would have for you. That, that, that he wants to do something in your life. And the great news is, is that he says that when we confess, he will forgive. He'll forgive all of the past. And so many people talk about this when you become a follower of Jesus and you ask him to forgive that stuff that you're confessing. It just feels like a weight is lifted off of you. And so I would invite you today to confess as well. Just quietly, we can close your eyes. I'm going to pray in a minute. And just say, Lord, I'm, I've fallen short of what you'd have. I've, I've messed some stuff up. And I, I, want, I want this thing that they're talking about, about real relationship with the Heavenly Father. And he'll come into your life. Just ask him in and he'll come in. Say, Lord, here's my sins. Here's what I've done. You don't have to list them all. Just There might be some highlights in there. But just confess. And then ask him to come in. And then ask him to forgive your sins and then follow him. In fact, Jesus didn't really use the language of get saved very much. He said, come and follow me. Begin the journey together. And if you'll do that and ask him in, you will experience new life in Christ this morning. Let me ask God's consecrating blessing upon the elements as we prepare to worship the Lord at his table. Bow your heads with me. Father God, Lord, help us to come with humility. Reminded that all of us have flaws and all of us fall short and none of us are perfect, Lord. Make us a people who confess, who own the things that we do wrong and, and that we get wrong, Father, and that we can, in safety, confess them to you and to uh, a select group of brothers and sisters in Christ where we will find mercy and encouragement, not, not judgment. No one that will size us up and write us off, Father. And so I pray right now, Father, I, I, I confess that I am flawed, Lord, and that I'm not the, the pastor or the preacher or the husband or the father I, I should be. I pray, Father, that you would work on the planks in my life, Lord, that you would uh, take them away so that I can be clean, Father, but so that I can minister to others as well. Don't let me be someone that's clean just for the sake of being clean, Father. Clean me up that you might use me for your glory and for your honor. And I pray, Father, especially for that one that this morning is stepping into a relationship with you, 
and maybe has never followed you before, or maybe has and is coming back, as they pray and confess, Father, would you hear their confession? And then I pray, Father, that you would uh, pour your, uh, your, your spirit into them as they experience your forgiveness. May they know that you have forgiven everything in their past, Father. And would you make them into a new creation as they step into a relationship with you and they follow you for the rest of their lives, Father. Surround them with other believers that love them. Surround them with good biblical teaching and a church that cares for them, Father. And welcome them now to your table. And we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying to them, This is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you do this, remember. Remember what I have done for you. Remember that by my stripes you are healed. Remember where your eternal home is. The body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ preserve us blameless unto everlasting life. Let us take and eat. After supper, he took the cup. And when he had again given thanks, he said to them, This is the new covenant in my blood which was shed for you. Whenever you do this, remember. Remember that there is forgiveness for sins and yours have been forgiven. Remember that there is life in Christ and that remember that there is power in his name and in his blood. The blood of Jesus Christ preserve us blameless unto everlasting life. Let us drink at his table. Father, we have come to your table, we have sung praises to you, we have heard from your word, and we have eaten from the food you offer us. May you be glorified in us, Father. Wash us clean, make us whole, and make us ambassadors of love to a lost and broken world that doesn't judge, but embraces with grace and mercy. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue to worship the Lord in giving this morning. There are a number of ways that you can give. You can go to our webpage, generationscommunity.org, uh, and just click on the Give page there. Uh, you can also uh, send in a check. Go to, uh, you can just, P.O. Box 1654, I believe, is the, is the place to send it. You can just send it there. Uh, you can also give uh, with our app. All you got to do uh, is get our app, and there's a place to give right in there. And then you can also give uh, through uh, text giving, if you like that. Just text GIVE784 to 77977. All of those ways uh, would be great. And so as we worship the Lord, let's continue to worship with music this morning. <laughs> 